This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris What's the saying? The numbers don't lie. They never really do. I guess you can craft the numbers in different ways. We've seen plenty of that. But you got to listen to this a second. I think it really sums up everything that I've been trying to say this week. Everything that I've been, the whole picture that I've been trying to paint in simple logical terms, I think is summed up with this one statement. I'm not really able to verify it. But I'll give you a way that you can. All right? You ready for this? They say that Americans spent more on taxes last year than food, health care, education, and clothing combined. The Virginia Libertarian Party dissolves. This is a separate story. I thought it was coming from them. More in taxes than food, health care, education, and clothing combined. What does that mean in basic terms? I want you to, to just do a little exercise. And I think if more people would do this, it would really change the context of a lot of the political conversations that we have. So just take all of what you pay out of your paycheck. Take your last year's last pay stub and look at what the year-to-date total was. Take that amount. And then add to that your real estate taxes. Now, if you don't own a home, if you rent or something like that, then, you know, use a reasonable portion. Like, say, 25% of your rent would be a, a conservative estimate. So if you pay a thousand a month in rent, figure two fifty a month for the real estate tax portion. What's that? Another four thousand dollars a year, plus whatever was withheld from your paycheck. Add those two numbers together: just the real estate tax and what came out of your check. That is, those two numbers are in addition to your cell phone tax your any utility taxes, the gas tax, which is huge, 50, 60, 70 cents a gallon in most places, Uh, sales tax, car licenses, registrations, fines, tolls, you name it. It's just an endless list. I know, for example, for our family, Uh, It is without a doubt, taxes are without a doubt our single biggest expense beyond education, beyond health care, beyond housing even. Far more. As a matter of fact, uh, probably at least double we spend on taxes, our next biggest expense, which would be our housing expense. I wonder what the founding fathers would say, you know. For, for If you could raise the dead and bring back the people that participated in the Tea Party Rebellion, what would they say about where we are today with the taxes? And I don't think most people know the history anymore. 
We didn't always have an income tax. All of this came out of this new deal, this great new deal, this income tax amendment. It led to the confiscating of gold and the biggest expansion of government in our history. And this is what I was talking about yesterday. You got a very bare-bones, simple government, and it was good. And then the politicians, well-meaning, I'm sure, came along with big, grand ideas. Some of them important. Things like the Hoover Dam and bridges and highways and, 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 and water infrastructure. All these things that really did provide real, tangible progress in our country. And so I think you have to draw a distinction between public money that's utilized to build an asset like a dam uh, as opposed to social welfare programs or, quote, redistributing wealth. It's really amazing. When you look at the amount of money that we're paying and what we're getting, nothing. I asked yesterday, what happened to the trillion-dollar infrastructure deal? All debt borrowed against future generations, just evaporated, gone. My topic today is why is common sense important? And just like I did yesterday, I'm going to get into a little bit of what Thomas Paine had to say that. Uh, It defines our values, really, as a country, that document, which is why I suggested that you consider, uh, go to ChristopherScottShow.com. You can buy it direct. You don't have to buy it through Amazon. If you go to ChristopherScottShow.com, you can get the modern English version, and uh, maybe consider giving a few out as gifts. I, I got to sell some books. I'm not, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to keep the electric on here to keep powering this microphone and whatnot. You guys got to help me out. I mean, I, I hate to stoop to new lows, but these are desperate times. Okay, and I'm going to have to beg. That's really what it's going to be. Please, if you can spare a couple of bucks, <laughs> I'm kidding around. Books are not very uh, profitable. I can tell you that. I really believe that it's an important message to get out, and it's nonpartisan. It's hard for anybody to argue with the content of that book. It'll make everybody think, especially young people. Just something to pass on, something to think about. I don't know. Maybe you think it's weird or creepy. I don't know. I think books are a great gift. Think about it. Uh, before I get into that whole topic and delving into Thomas Paine, I want to just talk about something else a little bit. And share with you. I think I'm, I briefly mentioned this earlier in the week, and that is that I'm very concerned about the podcast based on something that I've had some suspicion about for a while now. And since I took that little break over the uh, past week or so, whatever it was ago, uh, I've got at least some evidence to at least validate some of my suspicion. And this isn't really directly part of the story, but uh, uh, an interesting side note, speaking of books. Books have remained relatively consistent in sales uh, despite fluctuations in the podcast, which leads me to believe that people come to the podcast first and then buy the books, which surprises me a little bit from my book Common Sense. Because I I feel like Amazon has even uh, throttled down the views on the book purely because it's tied back to a conservative voice. And I don't know, maybe I'm being uh, uh, overly cynical, but it really is happening. Silencing on a scale you can't imagine. 
It used to be that if you searched common sense in Amazon, I would come up on that book would come up on the front page. And I don't know. I haven't checked recently. Let's do it here a second and just see. Um, I'm using DuckDuckGo, which I got to change from. Let's just search it under books a second and let's see. Common Sense Thomas Paine. I'll go a layer deeper. No, 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 no. Nope, 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 nope. I don't see any evidence here on the first page, which is where it used to be. About halfway, sometimes two-thirds down. And we're no longer on there. What happened? The, the, the book sales didn't change. The algorithm must have changed, right? I think I'm on page three here. Unreal, really. So disturbing to me to see that happening. Page four. There it is, finally. Page four. Tell me how that happens. Let me see if it has the rankings on here. I don't even know anymore. I used to, like, watch these rankings. I don't think these rankings are really any different, to tell you the truth. Fifteen customer reviews. Thank you very much. Jane, Beth, Chris didn't leave a good review. Chris Warwick, he didn't like it. Just a rewrite. Uh, I don't think so. Um, uh, Very few people say that. All right, not all of it changed. Some of it, what really was easy to read, I didn't change it unnecessarily. I was working to keep the the original meeting. 4.3 stars out of 5, so the ratings are good, but somehow... It's buried down on page four. Interesting, right? Um, but let me just say this. Uh, everything now, audio, video, imagery, text, uh, for sure text, it's all easy to be scanned, cataloged, and analyzed through artificial intelligence. And these bots that Google feeds out, these crawlers, I think they're called, Uh, And this is not a conspiracy theory. You can check the technology. But this is part of the SEO technology that they go out and check, but they're also throttling things, and it's very well known. And you say, what do you mean about images? Well, they have the ability to do it with the images too, much faster than you'd think. And even the voice, I used to think there's no way they can have somebody listen to these podcasts and videos and imagery. Oh, yes, they can. It's really unbelievable. Uh, so a little more, a little bit piece of information here before I get into my main concern. And that is the rise and fall of the podcast numbers. You know, I, I started with nothing, this whole podcast. No name, no brand, no social media platform, nothing. And in the beginning, I was getting something like 50 listens a day. A big day would be like 100, Right. And that's actually pretty good numbers, believe it or not, for a podcast out of the gate. Uh, but, you know, people listen early on, even though it's horrible, listen as early on. But there was a little bit of growth. And I want to say somewhere around the the, or the 50 or 100 podcast mark, I switched gears a little bit. Um, it's funny to think, but what I did is I followed the formula of Dennis Prager and Prager U. And I basically created, they have these little short videos, and they're single topic. So they'll talk about, you know, the Second Amendment, uh, and they're short. And that's what I did. I made shorter podcasts, some of them 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and it was single topic. 
and I was uh, really trying to take advantage of search engine optimization. Well, that strategy, it really took off. It really did. There was other things I did, too. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but, like, I would do a podcast on the Michael Savage 30-year anniversary, and I would have this dialed in. If you searched Michael Savage on iTunes, you'd see my name come up as well. Uh, Ranking number one in Apple Podcasts if you search for talk radio. This podcast a few years ago would be number one. It was an amazing time. I, I had that thought. It was, it was actually Good Friday. Uh, I forget how many podcasts in, like 100 or something. I don't know. And boom, 5,000 listens in one day. And you know, it may not seem like a lot, but let me tell you, going from 50 to 5,000, I thought it was a joke. I thought something was wrong. Uh, I, the, the other big one that I dialed in on was uh, Veterans. And it kept going. It just kept going. It got to the point where I was ranking a couple spots below Rush Limbaugh to the point um, I ranked one below Rachel Mancow on iTunes, which is just really phenomenal for an independent, no-name podcast when you think about it, especially with everything going on. And uh, then the election came in 2020. Twitter was on fire for me. It was a lot of fun we were having there. And I don't know if it was exactly the day after Election Day. I could probably go back and look. But it was right around the election. The audience fell off 50%. Now, just so you know, the podcast numbers, they, they go up and down every day. and But they go in kind of these cycles. And I think part of that is the way that, that when they're counted or how they're counted or when the period ends or whatever. But And people's habits shift. And in other words... You know, maybe you normally listen at 9 a.m., but maybe it stretches to 11 a.m., and they count it at 10. And so you have this this crossover, and you see this jaggedness to it. But then you can see over a period of time when that trend is moving down or when there's real sharp declines. And that became evident very quickly, 50% drop-off. And, uh, and to be fair, uh, there was a lot of things that I was saying back then that were a bit controversial, if you recall. I was asking if we were headed towards a civil war. I was asking what that might look like. Uh, I was talking about the election being stolen. And I was saying that I didn't think for a million years that people were going to put up with it. That's how I felt. And, you know, so the audience dropped off 50%. I was getting a little heated in my rhetoric. Uh, but all media was reporting drop-offs that have continued, by the way, probably why they keep talking about Trump. Trump was a, a boom in, in listening for everybody. So then came January 6th, and instead of the Civil War that I predicted, the audience dropped in half again. And I have to tell you, for some of you that were listening through that, you know that it was a bit depressing to go through that and really tough uh, to look back and see how our country was was ripped apart, torn apart, and really disregarded, really. Uh, but just to, to stay on point here a second, it came out of the ashes with one quarter of the audience that we had. And uh, I had to work pretty hard to figure out where I stood in all that and what I wanted to do for myself, my family, for the podcast. Uh, I noticed something since then, the numbers will go up and down, which is normal, um, and it's not real consistent. um, But there is some consistency over time. And one of the things I'll say about that, like there's a certain minimum daily that gets hit. Those are the people that I put in the most 
loyal listener category, right? All three of you, right? You're the most loyal listeners. And it's really a very small percentage of the audience for the podcast. Those are the people emailing, I probably, I'm guessing, right? Largely. Um, uh, but it, it's a small percentage, but uh, for a podcast this size, I would call the the number of daily listeners in a pretty healthy range. The number that listen every day is very loyal audience. Um, I don't know how it would compare to somebody like a, a Joe Rogan or something like that, but I'll bet you this audience is pretty high as a percentage. And I, I don't know, um, you know, what Joe Rogan's percentages are. I'm guessing more like two percent everyday listeners. Here, probably more like forty percent. But here's the point about all that. The other 60% or whatever it is that's remaining, I really have no way of knowing that, right? We've got, we've got uh, just think about this as a second. You've got a certain number of listeners who are tuning in every day, your loyal listeners. Then you've got a whole bunch of other listens that goes up and down every day. And I break that up and down portion of that into two categories. Um... And that is frequent listeners and new listeners. Frequent listeners being people that, for whatever reason, can't or won't listen every day or their patterns aren't as even. Maybe they don't listen to all the podcasts. Maybe they don't want to. And then you have a percentage of those that are new, brand new people. And it's that part of that that leads me to my big concern. It's the new listeners. Those new listeners that get fed in through recommendations and coming up on the iTunes charts and SEO uh, means that for people searching for something, um, that this podcast would have its slot, if you will, among the others. And for a podcast that was on uh, iTunes top charts for many weeks, that brought new listeners into the pipeline. Now, of course, not every listener likes the podcast for whatever reason or doesn't come back or subscribe. Uh, there's people that just dabble. They don't really think in those terms. Or it's just not the right time. Um, but some of those infrequent listeners or frequent but irregular listeners, uh, they do become daily uh, loyal listeners. And those numbers would normally continue to rise. And that's no longer happening. So all that to say that the podcast isn't growing. And I don't have any absolute proof of the claim, but I could kind of sense it in many ways because I, I look at the numbers, I get a sense of the audience, I get a sense of when you're engaged because you email me, or I get a sense when you're not engaged because you don't email me, and you see patterns to these things. Um, and, you know, there will be times when, when I get surprises where there's a, a lot of listens. That's another thing, though. Uh, occasionally there would be a, 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 what do you call it, an anomaly podcast that would say, you know, get you know five times more listens than a normal. Because that's the other thing. Over time, the number of listens per podcast ends up like almost dead even, like within 10%, put it that way. Isn't that weird? But then you would have the, in the past these, these anomalies, and it would normally be way high, never low way high. And I credited that to search engine optimization. And you know, so, for example, suppose I did a, uh, a podcast on Joe Rogan because he's popular. It might get a lot of listens. People looking for him would find it. And you could see a spike on something like that, just by way of example. I don't see any of that anymore. It's t it tells me that they're not 
feeding it out, right? You have these predictably slow times, but generally speaking, um, they're not feeding it out, and that has become readily apparent. Now, the other issue is that there's a real saturation in the podcast market. Uh, Nancy Price, I was mentioning yesterday, I hope you'll support her campaign, nancypa.com. Um, she was talking, she's like, there's not enough time for all this stuff. You got uh, Ted Cruz, got big podcast. Trump doesn't have a podcast, I don't know why. Now, Trump has a, I don't know if he has a voice that's good for a podcast, but could you imagine? He would kill it. President Trump should think, that's really something he should think about. A daily podcast, could you imagine what he would do? Um... But I will tell you verifiably, um, and I'm not going to go through the, the evidence right now, but all the political voices, I'm going to mention one story, all the political voices are throttled down. And then anything, so everything political is throttled down. Anything conservative is just completely shadow banned at this point. And the search engine optimization, it also fuels Apple search. It used to be somewhat predictable, not like the card catalog, but somewhat predictable, and that's no longer the case. Not not for Apple or Google, and that's where all the traffic comes, and 90% of it still comes from to this day. That's something that needs to change. And so the bottom line is there's no organic traffic on this podcast, and it really changes things for me. You know, I have to ask myself in the process, what do I need to do differently, either to become more attractive or to get myself in front of more people or not, which is probably what I'm going to choose to do because the answer is advertising. And I just don't know if I have any interest in in going down that path at this time. Part of what uh, made me want to say this to you, last weekend, I guess it was, I was watching a video by Dave Rubin. I I think I mentioned a little bit about this or that I'd seen him. And I don't consider myself a fan just because I don't, you know, have the time to watch or listen. And um, But anyway, uh, he gave a pretty good rant about this state of things with conservative voices. And I told you the story the other day about it doesn't have to be um, political. And I knew this was going to happen. It's part of the reason why I won't even entertain those arenas. You say, well, I'll just play by the rules and everything will be okay. Good luck because the rules change. You know, what kind of system is this? People's businesses and and livelihoods being wiped out for some kind of bizarre, nefarious reasons that nobody even really understands. Hopefully, that adds a little insight as to why common sense is so important. It's a book, a booklet that defined American history, but it also defined American principles. And it not only defined those principles, but thoroughly and rationally explains why they're so important. And for that reason, it's something that's very valuable reading for anyone. At its core, common sense is a compelling call for independence from Britain. But by the time common sense was originally published, the second edition at least, the Revolutionary War was well underway. So why was it so important, much less even needed, if the country had already declared war? And the answer to that is simple. That's because the country was very divided. At the time of the Revolutionary War, there was about 2.6 million people living in the colonies. And it's estimated that at least a million of those didn't want independence. Some of that number is much higher. Imagine that. The country's at war and almost half the people were in agreement with the other side. I think things are bad now. I say this all the time. 
the technology we have, the advance uh, that we have compared to what they were dealing with. Uh, but there was fighting back then in, in nearly every colony. Most American cities were occupied by British troops. It was really amazing. On January 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress passed a resolution calling on colonial committees to indoctrinate those honest and well-meaning but uniformed, uninformed people by expounding to them the origin, nature, and extent of the present controversy. The body also calls for confirmed Tories to be disarmed and confined if necessary, rounding up the enemies. These Tories, they were colonists that were loyal to Britain and largely against any idea of independence. They rounded them up and confined them. Isn't that amazing? On January 4th, 1776, this is happening very quickly, Washington promised Congress that he will attack Boston at his first opportunity. By January 7th, in Philadelphia, Sam Adams writes that the idea of a confederation among the colonies is not dead, but uninterested. Fascinating, right? Same problem we have today. Interesting story about Sam Adams. At one point, he was a tax collector in Boston, and then he refused to collect the taxes that he felt were unjust, and he was required to pay the taxes himself and presumably threatened with prison or death if he didn't do it. And it's an example of the archaic and barbaric, barbaric nature of how oppressive the king's, king was. Sam Adams, if you didn't know, was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Then on January 9th, only uh, five days, uh, uh, sorry, seven days after the passing of the revolu- uh, resolution of the Continental Congress, Thomas Paine's pamphlet, Common Sense, appears in today's session of the Continental Congress. This was the first edition. Thomas Paine wasn't the only one making the case for independence. I'm not going to read all this. Hostilities continued into February. February 12th, North Carolina Patriots and Tories continue to mobilize their forces. The Committee of Safety orders the militia to assemble in in the districts north of Cross Creek where people are just fighting it out. Crazy when you think about it. On February 14, 1776, in Salem, North Carolina, the Moravians note that in Cross Creek, the governor's party was very strong and the king's standard had been raised, but they still beat them. On February 14th, barely a month later, the second edition of Common Sense is published. What was added in the second edition is the addendum which addressed the issue of the Quakers' position against the colonists. In effect, the Quakers, as a church, took the position that it was better to remain loyal to Britain in order to avoid conflict. Thomas Paine refuted their position. He recognized their religious position, but also made the argument for the separation of church and state. Fascinating uh, part of the book. That philosophy of separation of church and state uh, originally laid out in common sense. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't discussed or wasn't laid out in other places, but this is one of the reasons why the book is so important, that piece of context in itself to understanding why and what it, what it had to do with the forming of our country. And let me say this, because it's, it's as important today as ever. The basic issue that Thomas Paine was addressing in Common Sense was division. 
the colonists, the people living here, they were very divided on the issue of independence. But he recognized that that division wasn't the core of the problem, it was a symptom of the problem. And that's how he was able to get to the heart of it. If you ask people today, what's the biggest problem we face? What's the biggest problem in our country? Do you know what the number one answer is? People will say division. And people say that. People will tell you the biggest problem in this country, that we're so divided. And they'll say that division is the problem. People say we, we don't agree on anything. That's the problem. And as much as that's true, division isn't the problem. It's the symptom of the problem. The problem is a lack of shared values, a lack of a shared vision. Did you know that the, the Civil War took over 600,000 lives? The Civil War took almost as many as all the other wars combined. And we're a, a lot more uh, divided then than we are now. We were killing each other. We were so divided. But we didn't say that the Civil War was fought because we were divided. We were divided because there was a difference in ideology. This country always been divided from before we were beginning, before the, from the beginning. Before we were in a country, we were divided. We were still just colonies. Some people wanted to be free. Some people wanted to be an independent country. But then there was a lot of other people. They said, well, why bother? It's not so bad being part of the, the, the British Empire. Colonists were very divided over this issue. I mean, think about it. If you sold tea in England, what would you say? There was a lot of people they didn't want independence. And at the time of the Revolution, half or more of the colonists did not want independence. They wanted to stay with Britain. Country completely divided, but that division wasn't the problem. People were divided over principle. One side wanting freedom, freedom, the other side wanting what they perceived to be as safety and security. And both sides were convinced they were right. And that's why common sense was so important. Thomas Paine explained in simple language why freedom was the only logical choice. And not only did he have to persuade the colonists that it was the right choice, but he had to convince them that the time was now. And he made a calculated argument. He explained the origin of government, pointed out the atrocities of the king, and carefully explained that colonies are uh, not a natural form of government. He used some uh, simple ex examples and described how independence would work for a, a young nation. And here's a little bit of what he wrote. To illustrate this principle, let's look at a small group of people living in some secluded place unconnected with the rest of the world. Let's say they represent the first country in the world. When people first become a group, forming a society will be the first thing they do. They'll have plenty of reasons to join and help each other. It's difficult for one person to survive on his own, and people don't like being alone. After a while, then, people will come together to help each other. Whereas people working together could build a house, one person working alone would have a hard time doing so, because if he were trying to do it alone, he would have trouble accomplishing everything. For example, he would have a hard time cutting and moving trees for lumber by himself. And even if he were to attempt to do so anyway, he'd have to frequently stop to feed himself. In addition, many things would require his attention just to survive, because if he got sick or injured and became unable to take care of his basic needs, he could die as a result. Out of necessity, then, people are pulled together to take advantage of each other's talents and abilities. In the beginning, they rely on each other, so there's no need for laws and government. 
Over time, however, selfishness and laziness settle in. People grow complacent. As a second group of people begins providing a disproportionate amount of work, they begin to see the need to establish some form of government to correct the unfairness. This is really ironic when you think about it in, in, in daily terms today. Um, you know, people don't think about it, I think, the same way in terms of government. But the, the core problem is what? The lazy people that don't want to do for themselves or they want to be greedy, greedy, lazy. What's the difference? The second group uh, finds a convenient place where the whole colony can meet and discuss these issues, and the entire group comes up with a group of laws. These first laws probably consist of a few simple lists of basic regulations, and the only penalty being public embarrassment. In this early government, just a few people, every person has a vote. But as the colony grows, so do the problems. As the colony spreads out, it will become harder for everyone to meet, whereas in the beginning it was a small group living close together that had relatively few problems. As the group grows and spreads out, the members find it more convenient, instead of each person having an equal voice in the group's decisions, to select a few representatives who are tasked with acting in the same way as if the whole colony were present to vote. As the colony continues to grow, it adds representatives until the group becomes so large the members divide the colony into convenient sections, with each section having a representative. The representatives are made to represent the interests of the people they represent, not their own interests. To maintain this protocol, the group decides to hold frequent, regular elections for representatives. The intent is to keep the representatives honest and not corrupted because they have to return to society. With this frequent change in representatives, the people remain mutually and naturally supportive of each other. Continuing success of this model, however, relies on the happiness of the people. Do you realize that what Thomas Paine there did there was that he wrote a very convincing argument for people to give up their vote, their referendum vote, in exchange for a representative government? The first step in taking away any freedom. And this is something, I could go on and on about this. This is a really a fascinating topic, especially when you consider that why can't we do everything by referendum in today's digital age? Let me tell you something right now. If we can have digital currency, we could have digital voting. What's the difference at that point? If you say to me, we're going to have digital currency but not digital voting, I have to ask you if you've lost your sanity. Uh, I would prefer neither, but uh, if you're going to have either, I think there should be vote and everything be done by referendum. Let the people vote, but it has to be done in accordance with the law. And that's where you still need a, a, a judiciary and a Supreme Court, that you don't just have mob rule, that they're adopting laws that uh, are not consistent with the law of the land, the Constitution. So Thomas Paine continues. He says, in a nutshell, this is the origin and rise of government. In other words, government is a system required by the inability of people to individually cooperate for the fairness of everyone. This is the basic design and downfall of government. That is freedom and security, and no matter how idealist such a conclusion might seem, basic human nature will eventually prove it true. Really fascinating, and, and he's absolutely true about this, absolutely correct about this. Uh, it goes on, uh, and there's many sections of the book that I could talk about here, but um, 
I don't think it's important, but he, he made a strong case, and he appealed to people's basic sense of good. Right? He said, on that basis, we've been working to establish an independent constitution of our own, one that exceeds all others in our hope and in aim. Our plan is peace forever. We are tired of fighting with Britain, and we cannot see any other end except final separation. Our desire has remained consistent to find endless and uninterrupted peace. This is why we look beyond the burdens of today. We are working and will continue working to separate and end a connection that has already filled our land with blood, which we know will be the cause of future problems for both countries if it continues. We're not fighting for revenge uh, or conquest or for pride, passion, or plunder. You have to wonder, you know, in today's terms, um, you know, what would it be uh, that people would get so tired of the, the, the uh, bickering, the partisan bickering going on? Uh, I'm sick of it. I don't know about you. The, just the whole thing goes round and round. You add to it to a crazy media not making any sense. I don't know. That call to action uh, established in common sense was the foundation for the country that, that remained up until this day. And, you know, over the years, people have credited our freedom to many people and events, but there's little doubt that a great deal of the credit goes to Thomas Paine. If he hadn't written Common Sense, we might not be a free country today. He was able to write a convincing argument to end the divided opinion and bring the country together to support the common cause of freedom. And if he hadn't written it, we might never have continued to pursue independence as a free nation. And not only did he explain what was important, but he explained why which is critically important. It's something that you hear me talk about uh, on, on a regular basis, the understanding why. Why is this happening? What, you know, what is the cause of it? What is the origin? After I, I translated common sense into modern English, the question came up, what is common sense? And if you look up at any definitions, it's very general. There's really no specific, no, there was nothing. And I thought somebody has to have, have, have written this. I couldn't believe it. And sure enough, there wasn't. I wrote a book, How to Get Common Sense, Even If You Don't Know What It Is. The country really needs it. People need to learn how to think again. And I, I don't know that I'm telling people how to think. I don't. But how to be able to think on your own, that's really the point of it. Why? I mean, look at the headlines and look at what's going on. They're saying that the Russia has been pushed out of Ukraine. This whole story is completely ludicrous. What? How do we go from nuclear war concerns to, oh, Ukraine's winning, it's over, never mind. But somehow the Europeans are going to wake up without heat in the winter. Everybody's going to pay. What? What is going on? You see this lunacy, what was being talked about in the media? Trump mysteriously flies to Washington. I mean, Virginia? It sounded like he was going golfing. Questions remain why, why he had golf shoes on. Seemed to be in a hurry. Maybe he was playing golf. Maybe maybe he ran out in a hurry. Maybe he uh, had diarrhea. Couldn't change his shoes. It happens. These things happen. Did you know that? Even the famous people, once in a while they get diarrhea. Usually diarrhea of the mouth, kind of like me. I don't know. It's just crazy when you look at what's going on. Nothing that represents anything good for this country. I'll tell you what, prove me wrong. Tell me one thing that's going on in government that's really good for the country. One initiative going through Congress. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, the weekend's coming up. 
And uh, I can't guarantee I'm going to be back on Monday. I do expect to be here uh, for Monday's show. But if you don't hear from me, I'll be back on Tuesday. Do something to take care of yourself over the weekend. God willing, I'll be back Monday or Tuesday. Hope to see you there. Make it a great weekend.